Blog Talk Radio. John Hunt. I'm Kevin Owens, and uh, today we're joined by someone really cool, uh, Dre Baldwin. Dre is a uh, he is a uh, author, and uh, he's pretty much going to uh, be a person that I'm going to personally hijack the show with, and I'm going to just ask him personal shit the entire time because uh, he's pretty much what I want to be. Uh, very successful after uh, playing overseas for a while, and then uh, turned his career into I've uh, written over 21 books, uh, TED Talks, podcasts, motivational speaker. This dude is awesome, so I'm excited. Plus, he's a Philly native, so uh, that should be a lot of fun. All right, Kev. I'm, uh, I'm inviting uh, Dre right in. There he is. We got Dre on the line. What's up, Dre? How are you? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. We're doing good. Uh, so first, uh, Dre, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, what you are – is like what I want to be. Um, you know, you have the the book, uh, 21 books out. And it's crazy because I, I just wrote a book uh, about my experiences overseas. And every okay. single time I was like, I knew, you know, a few authors who did it before. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like talking to them. And I'm like, okay, uh, Paul Shirley. And I kept on seeing this book. And I was like, looked and I was like, oh, shit, this is awesome. Like, you know, the the incredible, uh, you know, books about playing overseas, about uh, doing all, all of the overseas thing. It's really cool to have you on to kind of pick your brain because, uh, like I said, I'm hijacking this interview, and I'm going to ask you questions just to help me uh, to kind of, you know, become uh, more successful as the, you know, media field after basketball. So what's up? How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, and uh, I appreciate the compliment and that uh, introduction there you gave, but I am... Uh, definitely happy to be here. I'm glad you guys uh, thought of having me on. I'm doing great. That's awesome. Uh, so kind of going in um, to a lot of, uh, oh, there it is. Uh, I think the, the, the one thing, the first thing I want to ask uh, is obviously the hardest part, I think, about um, retiring from pro basketball is stepping out of that limelight, um, stepping away from the the glitz and the glory and staying relevant. Because I think that's the toughest thing overseas, guys, especially overseas. Like, you're Michael Jordan. Like, you're not going anywhere. Like, you're going to walk into a game. Everyone's going to see you and be like, oh, shit, it's Michael Jordan. Uh, Guys that played overseas, there's not much recognition. So uh, I think the hardest thing is stepping away. But you've managed to stay so relevant with, uh, you know, writing and motivational uh, speaking and things like that. So what's your secret? How did you uh, how did you build this empire from you know a uh, overseas career? Man, well the secret, uh, Kevin, is that things weren't always working in my favor. So I had to start looking at other ways to uh, provide value to the world, even while I was still playing. Because unlike a lot of players who have careers overseas, mine was probably much more bumpy, probably even more bumpy than yours. So there were seasons where I didn't have a job. There were times where I didn't have an agent. There were times where I didn't know my next contract was there would be a next contract. There were times when, you know, I spent months working out in that empty gym and publishing videos on YouTube, which is where a lot of people came to know me online, not because I was overseas, but because I was in Miami in a gym by myself and people were asking me, well, why is nobody else in the gym? I said, I don't know. I'm just in the gym working out. 
So because of those things, even before I started my career, actually to go back, I knew that uh, athletic careers end by, even if you're amazing by age, maybe 40. And we're athletes, we're in great shape. So let's say we'll live for at least another 40 years. Uh, what else are you going to bring to the table? So I knew I was going to need something else, even if I had the, the Kobe Bryant career, unless I was just going to sit around, you know, and just count my money every day. But, and the other thing was, if this doesn't work out, and there were times where I didn't have a job. I mean, as soon as I graduated from college, I didn't even have a job. My first year, I worked at Foot Locker in Valley Total Fitness. So there was no guarantee that this was even going to work out. So I'm asking myself, okay, what other skills do I have? What other skills do I bring to the world that will be marketable where I can at least have some type of kind of life that I want to live? Because I didn't want to work a quote-unquote regular job. I went through many interviews. I worked a couple regular jobs, and I knew I didn't like it, and I had seen the adults around me growing up they worked regular jobs they didn't seem to like them uh, they did not seem excited to go to work and they still didn't have any money so I'm like okay I don't want to do that so I just knew I needed to figure out uh, what else could I bring to the table and luckily enough for me uh, the internet came of age at the same time that I graduated from college so that was a stroke of luck but I was at least uh, uh, visionary enough to take advantage of it's it's I just, I always look at, you know, you started and that's just an incredible story because I think that's like one thing uh, that I know I get frustrated a lot when I'm like, okay, uh, shit, like, what am I supposed to do? How do I build a social media presence? Like no one knows who I am. Uh, you know, I'm trying to, you know, promote a book and, and do this and promote the podcast and, and you're kind of like irrelevant. So I like hearing the story that, you know, you had your ups and downs and you were working regular jobs. I think that's the the lost thing in overseas basketball is just, you know, how, how much of a struggle it is when you get done. There's no pension. There's no anything like that. There's no overseas right. players union. You're just out. And now it's just got to figure it out. And that's really cool. You just stuck with it. And uh, what I'm going to say is because you obviously had success. Like if I, I love motivational shit, like I'm like every time I see something motivational, I'm like, all right, I'm putting this on my wall. I'm giving this to my daughter. I'm going to talk about this. So this is a question, like, why would anyone listen to me? Like, my question, like, anyone who follows the same path, like, what, what, how, why would they listen to me or someone who played overseas who no one knows? Why, how do you, how do you get those people to listen and continue to grow uh, this business? Great question. So are you asking, when you say people will listen to you, are you talking about players or are you talking people who are not athletes? And just every, I mean, you know, everyone, I think, you know, you're great because you not only uh, give speeches and, and do motivational conferences with, you know, businesses, but you'd still talk to players and things like that. So I think almost like outside of basketball and outside of the basketball world, because I feel like we always have that connection to the basketball. We're always going to know a coach or a player or this or that. How do you grow that, that social media base outside of basketball? The biggest thing for me, is, and that's a great question because every athlete, if, unless they're going to go, again, do the regular job thing, they're going to have to figure that out in some way, shape, or form. The biggest thing for me was that I had found my voice. You know, I knew even from back in 2001 when I had this really slow desktop computer where I remember I would type in ESPN.com, then I would go take a nap, and hopefully the website was up by the time I woke up from my nap. That's how slow the computer was back then. I knew I wanted to have a website. I knew I wanted to have a web presence that was about me because I just felt like I had some ideas and some perspectives on just life in general that was not like everyone around me. And I didn't know what that would morph into. And nobody knew that blogging, YouTube, podcasting, self-publishing, nobody knew this stuff was coming, but I just had that vision. So for me, it was kind of like they say the proverbial 10,000 hours of just talking about whatever it is on your mind putting your work out there the same way we put in that 10,000 hours on the court I put in that 10,000 when it came to articulating my thoughts and my perspectives so I, I developed this unique voice and just the way that I talk about things and the way that I see things and I was making basketball videos for several years online probably in the early 2000s and around 2009 ish players started asking me about the mindset around it like what gets you showing up every day how can you be as confident in a full gymnasium when all the fans are there as you are when you're by yourself? Or you know, how do you keep working out when you got cut from your high school team three years in a row, which is what actually happened to me? And how do you even get started in all this stuff? So I just started talking about these things. And a lot of it, I thought, 
Kevin, I thought it was natural to me. I thought it was just normal stuff that everybody understood. I thought every basketball player went to the gym and worked on their game every day at the same time consistently. I thought these were all normal things. But what I found out when I started talking about it was that these weren't normal and that some people, if this was brand new ideas, brand new information to them. So it's kind of like sometimes you get so comfortable with your own knowledge that you don't even realize that it's valuable to other people. So as I kept putting my voice out there and I learned what made it unique from other people, then I just pressed on that advantage. And what happened was when I started talking about the mindset thing to answer your question directly, people who didn't play sports started reaching out to me and telling me like, hey, I don't play basketball, but I follow your material just so I can see that that weekly motivation video you put out every Monday. But Tuesday through Sunday, I'm not watching those basketball drills because I'm not trying to learn how to do a crossover. But that that mentality thing you're talking about, that stuff applies. I can use that at work. I can use that in my personal relationships. I can just use that in everyday life. So that planted a seed in my mind, Kevin, that when I was done playing ball, I knew what else I could do. I knew what else, like, to answer, to follow up on the first answer I gave you. How else I could bring value to the world was that sharing with people how the tools that I needed to succeed in sports also apply in other areas of life. And that's awesome. And kind of jumping off of that, because, uh, you know, reading your stuff and and I know a big philosophy you have uh, that you teach people is something that I was taught. Uh, and I don't think I was taught in college. And when I started playing professionally, I was playing in the D League, which is now the G League. And I had a coach who was just like, stop trying to do everything good. Like you're trying right now, you're working on 10,000 things. You're, you're on the off season. You're like, okay, I need to do this, do this, do this, do this. And he was like, stop. He's like, I need you to come back here next year. And you are going to be the best rebounder in the league. All I want you to do is this, 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 this work on your jumping, work on your boxing out, work on your positioning. And you know, you, cause you're a good rebounder. I want you to be the best rebounder. And that's what I did. And I found so much success and that's what prolonged my career and kept me going is the fact that I honed in on a certain skill. And I think that's what you teach a lot of your players, a lot of your uh, clients, you teach them to hone in on one thing and be the best at one thing and not be the best at like everything, because it's hard. It's hard. You, it's hard to do a thousand things but I love what you say just honing in on one thing and you know making every that most successful thing you have absolutely and that's sometimes you can create that thing because everybody can't be the best rebounder I mean like Dennis Rodman was a great rebounder but everybody can't do that everyone can't be the best scorer or the best in this like plain vertical that everyone knows about like there's only the only player I've seen who's kind of great at everything at the same time is LeBron James I don't I haven't seen anybody else do it So, and what you can do sometimes is come up with the mix between things. So, for example, actually, there's this author by the name of James Altucher. I don't know if either of you heard of this guy, but he talks about this daily practice of coming up with ideas. And he says, when you come up with ideas every day, you train your muscle of your brain to come up with new ideas. And what happens is those ideas start intermingling with each other. And he calls it idea sex. So the ideas start having sex with each other and the idea has a baby. So now you have a cross between uh, verticals, and now you got something new. So, for example, uh, Twitter was the idea sex between blogging and text messaging or something like that. Instagram is the idea sex between uh, instant and photographs or something like YouTube is the idea sex between videography and putting it on the Internet. So what I did was I kind of created that idea sex between, for example, I was not the best basketball player ever. I mean, you said you played in the G League. I tried out for the G League, and I didn't make it. So I wasn't the best player to play basketball, and I also wasn't the first person to publish content on the Internet, but I was the first person to combine workouts and the Internet. And that, that idea sex became a new thing. And then I took the mentality that need, you need to play sports and combine that with how you can use that in business. And I have it a certain way that I talk about it. I have a certain language. There's a certain dialect that I speak that it just resonated with people in the way that I talk about things. So that the idea sex was that I created a new vertical. So I may not be able to be the best tennis player, Serena Williams, or the best golfer, but I could be the combination of the best golfer slash tennis player, something like that. But so just find, figuring out what's the intersection between the skills that can allow you to uh, own your own space. So sometimes it's creating a brand new space. Another example that everyone knows uh, we had cell phones, we had MP3 players, we had laptops, and then Steve Jobs said, we're going to combine all of this. We're going to put a computer, a cell phone, text messaging, 
and an MP3 player all in one device. Nobody had done that before. He created a brand new lane and now it's ubiquitous. Now everybody has it. So for everyone out there, if you aren't able to dominate just a plain vertical, a common vertical that everyone knows, you can create a brand new one just by combining ideas, but then you have to press on it. You have to press on that so people understand this is what you're really about. This is what you're really doing. And people eventually come to say, okay, this is a real thing, it's not going away. Okay, I'm interested in that. And it takes a little bit of time, but you have to be willing to stick to it and keep uh, working on that thing, similar to what you said. And I love that. And, uh, you know, kind of going back into your, you know, your playing career, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, I love uh, anytime I see, uh, a guy who, who started out, you know, high school, you know, was, was trying to get better and better and then goes to college and got better and better and then goes on to play pro basketball because there's so many people who are so good at high school and then they suck the rest of the time. And then you're like, you just start surpassing them. And that's like my favorite. Cause that's what kind of player I was. Uh, so kind of take us through, I know you, uh, you know, you played at Penn state Altoona. Uh, how do you transition from Penn state Altoona to overseas basketball? Well, I mean, going to that school, being a D3 school, I have walked on at a, a school that was actually only like provisional D3. And at the time, you could only play two years in sports. I played one year there, got recruited to Penn State out soon, which was a D3. Didn't even play my senior year there. The new coach had come in and you know, clean house. I was one of the, the casualties of his clean house cleaning, not because I didn't have talent, but because he just wanted his own players. And graduating from college, I just knew that I didn't want to, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I didn't want to work a regular job because every example I saw of people who did, they, again, they weren't excited about it. They never had any time and they never had any money. So I'm like, what is the actual goal of doing? I didn't want to do it. So even though I had to compromise and work a couple regular jobs, still living in my parents' house after graduating from college, I just went and got me, as soon as I got my first check from Foot Locker, I went and got me an LA Fitness membership. And every day that I wasn't at work, I was in the gym. So that way I would get to the gym early in the morning. I treated it like a job. I would get to the gym at like eight or nine in the morning and I would work on my game on an empty gym. This is eight or nine in the morning on a Tuesday. It's empty. Then I would rest a little bit Then I would lift some weight, rest a little bit more, do some cardio, rest some more, go get me some Wendy's or McDonald's to eat. This is when I'm 22, 23. You can get away with that. And then I would come back. And by this time it's about 5 PM. And this is when people get off work and they start coming into the gym to play pickup. And I would play pickup at night. So I would literally be in the gym all day, just you know, working on my game and just keeping my game sharp and looking for that next opportunity. So my transition period was that. And I knew that the only way I was going to get on playing pro, being that I came from a D3, nobody knew who I was. I was a nobody in the professional basketball world. I was pretty much a nobody in the college basketball world. And for me to get known and for me to get seen, I would have to go somewhere where people who have some power who have some say can see me and be impressed by my game. And then they can do something to help me out. And as far as I know, the only way to do that at that time was going to an event called an exposure camp, which I'm sure you all are familiar with, but for those who don't know, exposure camp is basically like a job fair for athletes. You go show your game off, you try to impress someone. And hopefully from there, you get an opportunity. The, the catch 22 of an exposure camp. I don't know uh, how many you've been to Kevin, but the catch 22 is basketball is a team sport, right? Five on five. But everybody there is trying to impress, even your own teammates. So it's really hard to impress and play a team sport when everybody on the team is trying to show off at the same time. So when you watch the NBA games, there are players who are sacrificing. They're playing a role because they know that's going to help the team because they already have a contract. They're getting paid either way. But at an exposure camp, everybody's trying to show how good they are. Nobody wants to sacrifice. Nobody's setting the screen. Nobody's giving up their body. Nobody's being selfless. So let everybody, other players get the points because everybody's trying to show off because they all paid you know, $300 to come to this camp. So luckily I was able to you know, walk that balance and I impressed at that exposure camp. I got the a scouting report from there. I got the footage from there and I started shopping myself because I didn't get signed off of the exposure camp, but I got good footage and a good scouting report. And I shopped myself around to basketball agents because as far as I knew that they were to the go between between the teams and the players. And I found me an agent, and that agent said he would represent me, and he's the one who actually helped me get my first contract. So I remember the day I was still working at Bally Total Fitness after the exposure camp. This was around June 20, 2005. Then in August, two months later, that's when the agent uh, hit me up, let me know the team wanted to sign me. 
And I remember going to Bally Total Fitness and telling the manager, I just signed a contract to go play overseas. He just shook my hand and said, good luck. And that was it. So that's <laughs> uh, how I got started. That was my transition period to getting into overseas. That's like, it's crazy. Um, I feel like this show, it's like, obviously you wrote a book called the Overseas Basketball Blueprint. Like this is, yeah. I think any, any athlete, uh, high school, college, or overseas, like this, this is incredible stuff because, you know, you are the, the, the like, you know, poster boy for this entire, like, you know, you're like the, the Rocky of basketball. Like you just, you just kept working and kept fighting. And that's like, it's so cool to hear uh, that, that kind of story. And, you know, we're, 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 I'm, I'm not technically Philly, but like I'm on, you know, grew up in Barrington across the bridge, but uh, it's pretty cool to, to kind of hear that. And uh, funny story of overseas Bozier camps are crazy. Um, the only reason that I played professional basketball is because uh, there's a guy, John Humphreys. They called him the helicopter. He played on N1. Uh, I remember him. He was yeah. at the same exposure I was at. Yeah. And everyone knew who he was. Like, he was just dunking the ball so effortlessly. And uh, we ran a drill where it was like a, the chase drill where, like, I, you know, I have a, I'm, like, behind him, and I have to go up and try to block the shot. And I swear to God, the dude in front of me stopped and tied his shoes when he saw that he was there. I was like, ah, shit. And I just was like, fuck it. Like, I'm going. So I went and uh, I challenged him and he dunked on me so hard that like the whole place went nuts. But because of that, a guy came, like a scout from Europe came up and he's like, it took like a lot of balls to, to jump with that guy. Like most guys would have just, and you like went hard, like really trying to block it. He's like, I like your effort. And from there it was like, that's kind of what I became known for. Just like, you know, high energy effort guy who, uh, you know, not only <laughs> couldn't always score 30 points a game, but, you know, played hard. So it was pretty cool to, to kind of hear your exposure in camp and uh, how crazy it is, how like, a, you know, that butterfly effect can completely change uh, an entire career. And that's, it's awesome to hear. Um, so going back to the overseas basketball blueprint, and I'm going to ask a completely selfish question. So, you know, John, sorry, like fan, sorry, this is completely for me. Um, <laughs> What was what was your experience uh, when you wrote the book? Did you have a publisher already? Did you have, uh, you know, did you sign a deal? Like, what was your experience with the actual publishing process? So, uh, one thing is, but the helicopter. I just got to ask you about that question. The helicopter. He was about six four, right? Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't like huge, but he could. And he was yeah. like, he, he, he was, was like real out. strong, and he yeah, he could fly. <laughs> okay. All right. So. And the other thing is, I'm actually from Philadelphia. I don't know if you knew that. But oh, wow. I, my home love it. Love it. I live in Miami, but I'm from Philly. But to <laughs> answer your question. Sounds uh, better weather-wise. <laughs> yeah, it is. Most of the year. So <laughs> uh, as far as my writing goes, of my 27 books, one of them I did through a traditional publisher. That's my book, Work On Your Game. But the Overseas Blueprint, I published that through my company, uh, Work On Your Game Incorporated. So as far as the book goes, I know the biggest challenge a lot of people have in writing a book is actually just getting the words on paper. That wasn't really a challenge for me by the time that I wrote that because, like I talked about earlier, just having that 10,000 hours in. I don't know if I had 10,000 by the time I wrote that book, but I had been doing a lot of writing. So my first entree onto the internet was actually blogging before YouTube. I was blogging in May of 2005. So I've always been writing. So writing has kind of come... It feels natural now, but I put I had put the time in. So as far as getting the book out, that's what you're asking about. It was first I just made an outline. What are all the things that players kept asking me? Because when players saw that I'm got I'm this guy that they could actually access who has played pro basketball, even though I didn't always have a job. That's how many of them came to know me from these empty gym drills I was doing. But they saw that I had played, they just asked me questions. So as far as my creation strategy goes, all I do is answer questions. I just see what questions people keep asking, and I just keep answering the questions. That's all I do. So writing that book, I just made an outline of what are the questions that I keep getting asked, and then all I did was each chapter, I just answered the question. I just answered the question in writing, gave them what the answer is. I explained why I gave that answer. I tried to cover any of the, you know, the follow-up questions people might ask. So I'll say something like, oh, you need to go to an exposure camp if you didn't play D1, you don't have any game footage. You need to go to an exposure camp. So somebody might say, well, um, where is an exposure camp at? Or how much is the camp going to cost? Or what if, whatever the what ifs are. People always come with these what ifs, especially in the comment section on the internet. So I tried to handle all the what ifs and all the questions and all the follow-ups 
in one answer so that there would be no further questions. I want to make sure I'm giving you everything that you need to know so there are no excuses. That was basically what my angle was for putting that book together. And that's pretty much how I wrote it. And then once I had it done, as far as the design and all of that, if you're asking about that, you want me to talk about that? Yeah. Okay, so the writing and the for interior formatting is pretty basic. I didn't do anything about it back then. I didn't know anything about it, didn't care. And to this day, it doesn't really matter. There's not a lot of material on that subject out there, so I'm not really competing against anyone. And as far as the design goes, I don't. I think I did that maybe on Canva, or I hired somebody on Fiverr to do the design. I knew about getting the back cover done, the front cover done. All I did was just read some articles, some blog posts about how to put together a book and publish it on Kindle Direct Publishing, which is Amazon's platform. I knew what size it needed to be. I just read up on these things. This is, these are one-page guides that tells you exactly what you need to do. It's not very hard, but it seems hard until you do it. And then when I did it, I thought, oh, this is easy. I can do this forever. So then I just put the put it together. Uh, put it up, had it up on Amazon because that makes it, you know, quote unquote official. And then just let people know, hey, I have this book. If you want to play overseas, I just laid it out. Here are the things that you need to know. And the reason why I wrote the book to even go back in it is because when I was coming out of college, guys, there was no information about playing basketball overseas. There was zero. Nobody was saying anything. There were no videos. There were no blogs, nothing. It was just uh, Eurobasket.com, which still exists. That was the only oh, yeah. place. All right, and there was a there was a, a little bit of a forum there, but mostly it was just people just talking trash to each other. It wasn't anybody actually helping. It was just people just just saying stuff. So I would read it sometimes and laugh about the thing, and then you can see who's getting signed, who's getting the job, and all that, which is cool. But if you don't have a job, that's not doing anything for you. So what I was looking for is just can somebody just tell me what I need to know, what I need to do, and maybe give a little bit of explanation of why. And I you know appointed myself with someone who was capable of doing that. Once I had a little bit of experience, I said, all right, these are the things you need to know. And I was writing uh, from, the, from the perspective of being the nobody player from like a, a lower level school. Where you didn't have great stats. You don't have great film. You had nobody scouting you. You had no offers. You had no prospects, no nothing. Can you still make it happen? So I, I was writing for that. That was my target audience. So that's how I put that book together. Hey, Dre, I'm, so, awesome. I'm sorry, I Kevin. Mean, I just right want to now, jump in I, real quick. So Oh, go ahead, John. Go, I'm sorry, go, go. man. I was Jay. I was just looking at your email. And I saw that uh, you know, like on your email tag, that you know, that you're offering a couple books. I think the blueprint one is uh, yeah. you're offering just to pay, uh, just uh, for the consumer to pay shipping. And then there's the uh, the mirror of motivation, which I actually I just bought it just so you. Know. Oh, <laughs> I gotta be honest. Like uh, you know, you struck when you started talking about how you take. Uh, like sports and motivation sports and you apply that to real life and stuff like that. Uh, it really struck a chord with me and I just, I started looking at it. So I was like, all right, I got to read that book. Um, I, can you talk a little bit about that particular book and the, the mirror motivation? And, uh, and like cool. I said, uh, I'm going to, we, we dress all this stuff up and put it out on YouTube as well. So I'm going to put yeah. links and stuff like that. But if you want to talk a little bit about some of the book offers that you have on your own websites and maybe talk a little bit about m uh, mirror of motivation. Sure. Well, I have a lot of books and I used to tell people about a bunch of them, but what I found is when you tell people too many things, they get confused and they do nothing. So, gotcha. well, well, keep it simple. And I'll talk about the mirror sure. of motivation and we'll just focus on that one. So I got the book right here in front of me. I keep it close by. So this will be on YouTube. Everybody can see it. The reason why uh, this book is a book that I, I usually tell people about this one, even over the overseas one, because how many people want to play basketball overseas? Not that many, it's a very niche audience. But I tell people to get this book of mine first. This is where you should start is because in the subtitle of this book is the self-guide to self-discipline. Because my whole philosophy these days is called work on your game. It's based on four uh, principal tenets. Number one, discipline, showing up every day to do the work. Second is confidence, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically. Third is mental toughness, continuing to show up, doing the work, putting yourself out there. Even when the success you expected to achieve is yet to be achieved. And then personal initiative, making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. And the reason why I start with this one, being a self-guide to self-discipline, that's the first principle, is because who is going to listen to a show like this, you have something that you're looking to get, something you're looking to achieve. You want to go somewhere. People don't listen to podcasts or informational shows of any type unless they're looking to get something. They want something they want to do. And most people understand that you have to give something to get something. You're not going to get something for nothing in life. You have to put some effort and time in. The question that most people do not ask, though, this is the, the third key question is, who do I need to be? What type of person do I need to be? 
I know I need to approach life. How do I need to see myself when I look in the mirror? What kind of energy do I need to have? How do I want other people to feel about me when they encounter me, when I walk into a room? What I want the conversation to be about me when I'm not in the room? That, that energy determines a whole lot of what you do and how you do it, which determines what type of results you get. So when people ask me, you know, how can I play basketball? Like, you know, people say, how can I dribble like Kyrie? How can I be, have the Mamba mentality like Kobe? You don't have to become, you know, Kobe's six seven and have a 40-inch vertical. And you may not be able to be Kobe, but it's the mentality. It's the way that he looks at the game, the way that he looks at himself, the way he sees himself or any player or any person, period. When you can assume their mentality, then your actions are going to create different results. So what I tell people is when you affect that, the whole process in life is be, do, and have. Most people in life think about what they want to have, then they just start doing stuff, right? Working hard, grinding, hustling, no days off, team, no sleep. Now, we see these things on social media all the time, but I've known a lot of people, and you guys probably both do as well, people who work all the time, yet they don't get the results that they want, even though they're working really, really hard. So what's the problem? Is there something wrong with them? Is there something wrong with their strategy? Do they have the wrong goals? No. The problem is they have never asked themselves, who do I need to be? And everyone who's listening, I know it's a long answer to your question, but no, I love it, man. Keep going, listening. keep going, dude. <laughs> All right. Everyone who's listening has had a situation in life where you were trying something. You felt like you were following the right strategy, the right plan, the right process, right everything, but it wasn't working. You weren't getting the results. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, your energy changed. Maybe you became more confident because somebody told you something. Maybe you became angry because you just got mad and frustrated over the situation. Maybe you became focused because someone told you, hey, here's what you need to change. This is a little thing, and that'll get you the result. Maybe you saw someone else achieve the outcome, and it gave you more belief that you could do it. What changed is your energy, your being changed. Then you went and did the same thing you've been doing for the last three months, and all of a sudden it worked. All of a sudden you got a different result. That is because your being changed, your doing did not change, the result that you wanted did not change. So this book, The Mirror Motivation, to come back around to this, this book gives you the framework for who you need to be so that you can do what you need to do and have what you want to have in life. And I want to make sure everyone understands the title of this book is The Mirror of Motivation. This is not Dre hyping you up. This is not me giving you a motivational speech. This is you telling yourself what you need to do because I won't always be around. Jonathan won't be around. Kevin won't be around to hype you up every day. We won't be around to help you out when you're overseas in you know, Italy and the coach says something that you don't like and you only play 10 minutes in the game and you don't know why and you don't know what to do next. This book will be around for you to help yourself. So you can get this book by just covering a small shipping charge and going to mirrorofmotivation.com. That's the title of the book without the, the mirrorofmotivation.com. Yeah, and, That's I, awesome. and I just did it, man. It's so easy. It took me two seconds. I was like, I'm getting that book. It's, it's, it's on the way. It's being shit. <laughs> well, right now I'm about to call a drywall guy because I'm about to run through this fucking wall right now. I, so. I was thinking the same thing, Kevin. I was like, I want to run through this like, fucking wall, dude. Like, can, you guys, yeah, can you guys come over because there's going to be a seven-foot hole in my wall in about two seconds. <laughs> this you know, is awesome. He, Honestly, uh, you know, uh I love, I see, I, I told you, I love motivational stuff. And uh, that, that's like the, it's something that everyone can do. It's like, it's, it's, this world is always, I feel like we're getting like with social media and a lot of stuff, like it gets us almost lazier. And uh, to have that motivation still there and to be able to pick up a book and like, you know, find yourself. And like you said, it's not me saying it or, you know, John or, or you know, anyone, it's like, it's yourself. And that's like, that's the coolest thing. Um, and I love that. And I'm going to order a copy. I think that you're like, sell it, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. A lot of people are going to uh, hopefully buy, buy this book and get this book and uh, great promo right now. So I have a, I do have a question and we, I know this is, you know, you've probably answered this question before. Athletes, why do athletes make the best uh, employees? Because I always think I, I always you know, go back on that. And like, why would an athlete make the best employee? If you're a business person listening to this, like, why do you think an athlete would, uh, an ex athlete would make the best employee? Man, several reasons. Uh, one reason is athletes are competitive with just by nature to play a sport. You have to be willing to compete. So if it's any type of job that would be competitive, a lot of jobs, they look for athletes. They even advertise. They even say things like, hey, we're looking for athletes to work at this job. And they might not even tell you what the job is. You find out it's you no know, 100% commission sales job. But they look for athletes because those, they're used to competing and they're used to uh, eating what they kill. Another reason why athletes make good employees is because athletes 
understanding performance culture in the sports world, especially when you're talking about playing basketball overseas or if you're on the fringes of any professional league, like NFL, when you're a practice squad player or you're at the end of the roster on an NBA team, if you don't perform, you don't have a job. You don't have a guaranteed contract. Or if you do, it's such a small contract. It doesn't matter if the team cuts you. It doesn't hurt them that much financially. So you have to perform every single day. I remember hearing uh, you spoke about the helicopter and one mixtape. We all remember Ray for Alston. They skipped it to Malou. He actually made the NBA. And I remember watching the M1. Remember when they were on ESPN, the TV show? Yep. And yeah. Ray for Alston was on one episode. He had just shown up to one of their games. And this was around the time where a lot of the M1 guys were starting to get – they were starting to get big-headed. They were starting to say, man, we can play in the NBA. If Skip can do it, we can do it. And they had Skip in, like, one of those just talking to the camera by himself. He said, these guys don't even come up to me and ask me what I did to make it because they just think they can do it because I did it. And then he said this. This is the key thing I heard him say. He said, these guys don't understand how hard it is to be the last guy on the end of the bench of an NBA roster. They don't understand how much work it is to be the worst player on the team. He didn't he call himself that. But to be the last guy on that roster. And the, the thing is, that performance culture, and when you go into a job, you'll understand you got to show up and deliver every single day. And if you don't deliver, you could be out of a job because a lot of people don't understand that we talk about overseas basketball in the NBA. A lot of people don't understand the overseas basketball world, let alone have they ever seen a game. The last, if the NBA roster is 12 people, players 9, 10, 11, and 12 could easily be replaced by somebody playing overseas. Oh, easily. easily. Yep. Easily. And maybe you're starting five, maybe your eight-man rotation. Those guys are really solid. They probably wouldn't be replaced by an overseas guy. But the guys at the end of the bench, you can grab somebody out of Spain, Russia, China, Turkey could easily take those people's places, but people, a lot of casual fans do not understand that. So you have to perform every single day to keep your job. And, and Kevin, you know as well as I do, overseas, you have a bad couple of practices. You could be unemployed that fast. So that's the second thing is the performance culture. The third thing for why an athlete makes a great employee is that athletes understand discipline. It's just an inherent part of the game. Showing up every single day to practice, hearing the same stuff from the coach, you might have a coach who doesn't even speak English, but you have to act like you're paying attention to what they're saying when they're talking for 20 minutes. Uh, yep. The same drills every single day, warm-ups every day. You could be the only American on the team. You're the best player on the team by far, but then you're not starting. You only play 15 minutes in a game. Your team loses, and you're like, All right, why the hell am I not playing? I'm clearly the best player in the gym, but I'm not getting in the game. I've had this happen, and I had coach, and the coach didn't speak English, so who am I going to complain to? And these are, this is the discipline that you have to have as an athlete. And the last thing is just athletes have that commitment. I mean, to be an athlete, you have to commit. Especially in the basketball world, less than 1% of people who pick up a basketball ever get a chance to play professional basketball. And if you're not committed to that job, uh, you're not going to make it. And no matter how much, maybe if you're super duper talented, maybe you can make it anyway. But most people don't have that level of talent. Players you see in the NBA making an all-star game are such a small, small percentage of the wider world of professional basketball even. So athletes, usually once they decide they're in on something, they'll be around. They are not going to flake out on you. They're not going to ghost you. They're not going to just disappear. They will continue to show up as long as they see some potential for themselves to grow and advance at what they're doing. I love it. Uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, just talking about overseas and like the, the last guy on the bench is so true. Uh, there, I know, you know, my experiences of working out, trying to, you know, trying to get into the NBA and trying to, you know, trying out for different teams. Uh, there was times when I was like, holy shit, I'm a lot better than this guy, but I'm 27 and he's 21. Right. So like, they're like, oh, potential, potential. And I'm like, but I'm better than him now, but I get it. It's like a crazy thing, which is what I like, you know, about uh, overseas basketball becomes, and you know, I like how the G League has really started stepping up and actually having it be a, an actual minor league system. Because I do think, uh, like you said, not all the time are the whatever 400 or so best guys in the world playing for a specific roster. It could be a lot of these guys overseas are just as replaceable. And you talk about, you know, the top five to 10, those guys are the best in the world. But when you start getting to that, like 12, you know, the guys on injured reserve, it's like, damn. They 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 might be rookies. They might be young. So uh, I think that also like guys 
everyone thinks playing overseas is so easy. I've talked to a lot of people like, I think I'm going to play overseas basketball. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, really? Right. Like, it's like they yeah, this is I'm so hard. Play, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's that simple. Yeah, like, so, oh, I'm just going to go, you know, jump, jump through a hoop. It's like, no, dude, like you have right. to really work. And I don't think, I think that's why I started this podcast uh, is to kind of show overseas basketball, to, to, to talk to guys like, you know, you, Dre, and, you know, a lot of guys that, that played to show, like, the work that it takes to get in there, uh, and also to just kind of share some stories and, like, you know, shoot the shit a little bit. I think it's, like, fun to have all these guys that you have this common experience with, and uh, guys can listen to this podcast and be like, oh, shit, like, you know, I can do this, or I, I'm picking something up from here or here, or this show or this show. So that's why I love doing this, um, and um, you're, like, inspiring because, I'm trying to hone in as I'm going through, I'm like, all right, let me, let me jump on the next question. I'm like, Oh shit. And I start getting sidetracked. Like, how can I make myself better in the middle? I'm like, Oh shit, I got to focus. So it's like, I've written I, like, I like four that. things That's down so in my good. own journal over here already. Uh, like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to remember he said that. All right. Now I'm going to, I'm going to do that. You know? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm planning the next two years of my life. Yes. I'm like, Oh shit, I need to make sure I get this done. Uh, I do love, you know, your books and uh, your, your just approach. You are brutally honest. Um, and that's a cool thing. And that's something that, ki- you know, kids these days are like, huh? Like old school, like we, we grew up, people being like, you suck, do better. And you're like, okay. And like now kids are, everyone's like, you're awesome. And they're like, I know. <laughs> so it's like, I like that brutal honesty that you can kind of give. Uh, that's kind of a lost art with like coaches because players these days, they don't want to be told that they're not the best. And I love your brutal honesty um, with that. So, you know, do you see that being a success, like with the guys that you work with basketball wise, you know, when you're, when you're like, dude, brutal honesty, uh, do some kind of shy away a little bit from that, uh, you know, toughness. Yeah. To answer that, now I have friends who are college basketball coaches and I ask them these questions. I ask them, I say, how, how can you talk to players these days as opposed to how our coaches talk to us, players that I played with in college? And they say, yeah, you have to, you have to talk to them differently these days. You can't tell them what our coaches used to say to us because they will not accept it. They won't take it. And the thing is, uh, to answer your question, it's kind of like what I spoke on before, is that I established my voice. Like People have a pretty good idea. If someone's thinking about, let's say, working with me or reaching out to me about anything, they can usually they Google you first, right? So they Google me, they can watch a couple of my videos, they may read some articles, they see how I talk. I think it's pretty clear within one or two pieces of content, the type of person that I am and how I communicate. So when it comes to the question that you're asking, do athletes kind of bristle at my communication style? No, because those type of athletes who would bristle don't come to me. All right? they, don't, they don't reach out to me. They may reach out to somebody else because they say, all right, I'm not going to reach out to this guy. But when I talk to people who are in my audience and I ask them, you know, what is it about me? What is unique about me that you don't get anywhere else? And it's kind of like, it's exactly what you just said, Kevin, is that you're going to not sugarcoat things. You're going to tell people the truth and you're going to give it to people how it is. And they really appreciate that. And it's funny, you know, I people tell me that in private more than they tell me that in public because depending on the topic that I'm talking about, but I understand it. And, and in general, these days with, athletes coming up I mean I'm not in the coaching world I'm not a personal trainer so I don't deal with athletes on a personal level that much but I can see on social media and things like that just in media in general even when I'm just talking to people on Instagram in the comments or Twitter replies or email I can see that it's a a little bit different world we have no participation trophy culture these days where everyone wants to be included everyone wants to be recognized everybody wants to get some type of you know has it has to be equal, right? Everything needs to be equal. You got something, I got to get something. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Actually, let me take out the word necessarily. I don't agree with that. I think in life, uh, everybody is not equal. I mean, there's a seven-footer and there's a six-footer. All right, the seven-footer is going to get more job opportunities than the six-footer. And that's, that's just the game. I tell people all the time, I mean, my, my mother's 5'7", my dad's 5'9". Had I been 5'8", the average of them, instead of 6'4", I could have did the same work, same mentality, same hustle. I would not have become a professional basketball player and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. I would have to have done something else. And that's just the game. This is just the way that it works. And sometimes in life, like, people need to understand that there will be inequities, there will be imbalances, and everybody's not going to get the same outcomes because everybody ain't the same. Everybody doesn't have the same opportunity. Everybody doesn't have the same talent. And 
if you want to, someone wants to deny that, they don't want to accept it, they think that that's wrong, or they feel like they need to try to do something to fix it, you can try, or you can take my word for it, but it's up to you. It's your life, you know, what you want to invest your time and energy in, but this is just the way that it works. Sometimes somebody's just better than you, and that's just what it is. I remember, I'll give you an anecdote, uh, Charles Barkley, uh, when the Phoenix Suns went to the NBA Finals in 1993 to play the Chicago Bulls. Barkley had just won the MVP. He just got traded from my hometown. Sixers, our hometown Sixers, to Phoenix, wins the MVP, goes all the way to the finals. Everybody's like, man, this is Charles Barkley's year. They go against the Chicago Bulls, and obviously the Bulls ended up beating them. And uh, Charles Barkley tells this story. He, he says he told his daughter, who was really young at the time, that, hey, honey, daddy's going to win the NBA championship this year. I'm going to win the championship. And his daughter said, well, how are you so sure you're going to win, daddy? And Charles said he told his daughter, he said, because I'm the best player in the world. And then when the Bulls beat them, his daughter came up to him. She remember what he said. She said, Daddy, you said you were going to win the championship. What happened? And Charles said he looked at his daughter and said, Baby, Michael Jordan is better. <laughs> and that was it. And that's why he lost. But sometimes in life, you just have to recognize that the opportunities are not going to be equal everywhere. You just need to figure out where you have an advantage, and that's where you need to focus your energy. And I'll give you one last thing, especially with the sports world. A lot of young men grow up thinking that sports has to be their thing because that's what they see. They see that the successful men are entertainers and athletes. But there are many other ways to be successful in life, number one. And number two, ain't enough jobs for everybody to make it in sports. Everybody can't become a basketball player or a football player. There's a cap on it, as opposed to being a podcaster, a lawyer, or a doctor, where as many people as, as are qualified can get in. In the sports world, there's a cap. Everybody can't play. So you have to really be honest with yourself about what you can do and what you can't do. And if you make a bad uh, judgment decision there, then it's just going to cost you time. And time is your life. It's, it's very true. Uh, yeah. It's like, see, this is the cool, this is the cool stuff. Um, this is the shit that like people need to hear. Uh, you know, not everyone's created equal. Everyone, you know, I'm seven feet tall. If I wasn't seven feet, I was, I weighed 195 pounds uh, my freshman year in college as a seven, wow. like six eleven dude. Uh, it wasn't fun. Um, I got pushed around a lot. And I think that's when I started developing the mentality, like I need to do something. And it wasn't until I actually started lifting weights and I realized that I, as I got stronger and I could, you know, go in there and dunk on people, I was like, oh shit. Like, it's like a realization and it, it changed my life. It changed how I play the game. Cause uh, you know, you're talking about college coaches, like the, I think and uh, I'm going to say the P word because I, I know this is an offensive word. So I'm going to say the P word, but I've never in my life, my college coach called me that more than anyone else in the history of, of my life has called me that word. I was like, Oh my God. Like, because it was just, it was true. Like I wasn't tough enough and I had to kind of get stronger. So uh, like you're saying, like you have to handle it different than, than uh, you, you know, it was handled back in the day. Cause that word was just like, that was the go-to. Like, oh, Kev, I can't keyword. like I've only known you as like a, a giant walking around a middle school, you know what I mean? Like so I cannot imagine anyone calling you that word. Yeah. <laughs> it well, blows my mind. As muscles make you tougher. Um they don't make you smarter, but they make you tougher. <laughs> right. And you know something interesting? And back in, in our day, you know, you all you both were around before we had phones, right? Before we had social media. Yep. And someone says something to you that you didn't like. You didn't have that many different avenues to go elsewhere. You were basically there with those people. You were there at that school with those people, with that family, those friends, and the people in your neighborhood. You, didn't, you couldn't go anywhere else. Nowadays, if a player hears something that they don't like, they can get on their phone and they can talk to anybody in the world. They have all these different communities and pockets that they can get involved with, whereas 20 years ago even, it wasn't that long ago, 20 years ago, you were pretty much stuck where you were at and you couldn't see what was on the other side of the fence because you didn't know there was a fence. You were just where you were at. So I think that's another thing that plays into uh, what we have these days. It's so true. And uh, kind of like, you know, again, very uh, selfish, selfish of me. Uh, you know, when you're talking about, you're, you're talking about the amount of hours it takes to create a successful book. And, you know, you've written 21 books. That's crazy. Uh you know, and I, I, that's what I want to like, I love the motivation because now I, you know, I wrote a book and I finished it and it's right now in the, like the publication being shopped around. And uh, the one thing that I thought is like, even now, like I will go back into that book, even though it's being like, you know, the treatment's done, the, the, the you know, trans everything's being shopped around and I'm still like, 
this sucks. This sucks. And like, it's just that, that motivation of just like, I need to just let it go. And I think that's something that I struggle with personally of just like, not, I'm like a perfectionist. I'm like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. And that almost overcomes like, you know, you know, the success that I could have because I'm like, I'm not going to do this until I'm perfect at it as opposed to being like, you know what, give it your best shot, put it out there and see what happens. And I think that's why, you know, when you're talking about social media posting, I'm like, I can't post anything because everyone's going to be like, this is stupid. Shut up. Like no one wants to hear you. And I'm like, (laughs) I think you're giving me motivation to kind of be like, you know what, you know, I, you know, step up my game uh, on social media and uh, things like that. And it's really cool to talk to you because, you know, you're so successful. Uh, You're exactly what I want to do uh, with the books and the motivation and stuff like that. So it's really cool to kind of hear your perspective. And uh, this is awesome to have you on and uh, talk to you a little bit. Um, We really appreciate you having you. It's so cool. And uh, yeah, um, we got to get that. We got to get, yeah, hopefully everyone's buying, buying up, uh, you know, the mirror of motivation and, and I want to, you know, overseas blueprint, all of your books. It's, it's awesome. It's great having you on. So we're like super yeah, psyched that you were able to join us. And I appreciate you having me on. And one thing I can tell you about the books thing is sometimes that thought crosses my mind, even even me. I think it does to every author. Like when somebody says to you, hey, I just ordered your book. Now I'm like, all right, I hope the book is actually good. So when they read it, it lives up to what they thought it was going to be on the sales page. So that does cross your mind. But I remember I heard an author, uh, Bill Simmons. Y'all probably know Bill, sports guy with the ringer. He talked about it when he writes his books. He, he did the book of basketball. He said, it's kind of like sending your kid off to college. I mean, you raised them for 18 years. You taught them everything you taught them. Now they're going to go to school. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to do. Now you send them out into the world, and whatever happens, happens. Nothing else you can do. You can't just keep going back and, and chiseling down everything that you think needs to be different. You just put it out there, and however it is, is however it is. And as far as with the – just with – publishing period on social media everything comes and goes so I don't even really think twice about things on social media because once you publish it you publish something on Instagram and people love it but the next day is old right now we need something to something new you publish something on Twitter 20 minutes later is old so just letting things go and in general man just being an athlete and the fact that you were able to take your experiences and your knowledge and put it into a book is a great thing because I think a lot of people want to write books. You know, every time I tell people I've written a book, they say, man, I, w- I wish I could write a book or I want to write a book, but they never actually sit down and do it. So you actually did it. So you put yourself in a, a very small group of people who actually went and got it finished. And then when you get it into your hands, that I think that's going to be a, another big moment for you just to know that you did it. I totally, uh, you know, this is like, uh, Dre, like, honestly, how much do we owe you for the therapy session? Cause I'm like, I feel like I'm like, I'm like a better person today than I was uh, about an hour ago. Uh, and it's really cool. Like you really have a gift with, uh, you know, with you, you know, your, your motivation and you do like even just speaking to you about all of your experiences to hear. And I'm glad that we were able to kind of have this time to uh, talk to you and anyone listening, you know, it's, it's great to kind of, you know, see, how successful it doesn't matter what stage of your life i'm 40 years old i went through basketball and that's like my biggest thing i went through basketball i was like i'm the shit and then i retired from basketball and i like and it's like i suck and i'm like all right let's just bounce back uh this life but i think that's like you were saying with athletes i think that's the way that we always are uh it's always like I, you always want to better yourself and like that's one thing that i i like appreciate you know you uh with your motivation because it, it, it helps better you know even as you go through and you're not in the limelight anymore to continue striving to be successful continue striving to always be your best version of yourself and that's so awesome to uh have you on and actually have our listeners you know hear your story and all your success it's great Uh, thank you i really appreciate that and i think it's a great niche that you all have here for athletes to figure out what they're going to do next because a lot of athletes don't even consider it until they're done and they wake up the day after their career is over or not even knowing their career is over, wondering what to do. So it's definitely needed. There's a, there's a void in the marketplace for that. I love it. Totally true. Um, again, uh, Dre, thank you so much for hopping on today. Uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, if the book, hopefully the book will get published and, and put out and I'll definitely uh, shoot you a copy and uh, would love to you know see what you think. My book is completely different from uh 
Yours is very motivational. And mine is just like the crazy wacky shit that I went through playing overseas basketball. It's like a, almost like a comedy. Like it's just me being like, what the F like the entire, like for, for 200 and something pages. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And I really, you know, I appreciate you guys. If you're listening, uh, check out Dre Baldwin, check out all his, uh, you know, his books, his TED Talks, his motivation. Follow him on social media and get those motivations. It's going to help your life tremendously. Dre, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thank you. You got an audio version of that book? Did you record uh, it? No, I didn't record it yet. Uh, I have everything yeah. to record it. I probably need to do that. Uh, yeah, all the books are big now, dude. Yeah, uh, I, that's like a main thing that I listen to. Did you Have you done audio books? Do you record all your books? Yes, all of them. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. All right, I need to I need to work on my like yeah we gotta get on that too. Kev. I feel like I get a little sloppy with how I talk and just be like oh people are like this <laughs> we'll we'll hire someone out <laughs> we'll hire someone out we'll hire a talent <laughs> four hours of you talking my god you know what helps with that is if you get a book that you like mm-hmm. and read that one out loud that oh that's a good one I like yeah, that see most, like, tips and everything. Dre, I'm gonna I'm, like my success on this book is going to be pretty much uh, in your hands. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I'd be happy to say I played a small part. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Dre, for coming on. Uh, thanks, guys, for having me on. Take it easy. Thanks, Dre. And, uh, you know, Dre Baldwin, thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. John, that was awesome, man. Dude, I, I, like I said, as, as he was talking, I just, I just looked on his. Um, like we emailed a few times to get them all set up today. And I was like, well, all right, let me check out what this is on this thing. I just wanted to learn a little bit about them. And like, I was like, man, all right, this is an incredibly good deal. Um, and I just sort of like, you know, you know, people go through stuff in their lives and I was like, this applies to me, this applies to me, this applies to me. Yeah. I'm going to buy that book. You know what I mean? And, uh, then he started talking about it. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't wait to read this thing, you know? So, uh, yeah, some really good stuff. And when you said you wanted to run through a wall, I was about to like say that on the mic. I was like, dude, I feel like I want to run through a wall. This guy's he has he's just incredible speaker. Uh, he gets it. You know what I mean? He gets it. Yeah, I took a voice and diction uh, class in college, but I feel like I have like a weird accent and I have a weird voice. Uh, it's like very Ray Romano ish. Um, so I do need to, to if I want if I want to get the audio book, I need to like really work on my diction and. Uh, you know, get that out there because I, like I said, like I hate hearing myself talk. Uh, maybe other people enjoy it. Obviously we have a podcast. So if uh, disregard that last comment, actually listen, keep listening. Guys. <laughs> like, Oh, you hate hearing me. I kind of hate you hearing you too. Uh, it's funny. You said so, the Ray Romano thing and I never thought that about you, but now I can't think about anything oh, it's, else. There's nothing else I think about. Someone told me that one time and it was the, then from every point that I've spoken from, from that point on, I think I was like, you know, shortly after college, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. So every time I open my mouth, I'm like, I'm like the fucking woolly mammoth from what's that movie? Uh, Ice Age. Ice Age. Yes, sir. And I wasn't yeah. even going there until you said it, man. <laughs> now, like, yeah. So everyone's going to be like, oh, shit. So if you're listening, um, yes, I voice the woolly mammoth. So if Ray Romano can voice like Ice Age 6, what, how many, however many there are, I, I, I think I can, uh, you know, I think I can audio book the book. And, uh, yeah, we'll work on it, man. Going. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. Well, John, you rock. Thank you so much again. Yeah, man. DJ John Hunt, uh, you know, on the producing. And I will say, you know, you're every every time you're like you're you're asked to do more. This time, um, you know, we're 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 like a, official. Like I need to get a headstock and stuff, or like the you know the the whole entire you know picture and stuff of our show for yeah. our, like what do they call it, masthead, whatever it is at yeah, the bottom yeah. where you sign your name because we're we're chatting with Dre. And, uh, you know, his producer, and we're like, kind of like, oh, well, you know, John's like, I'm the producer, I'm going to step, and like, you're sitting, it's like, wow, we need to really. Well, it's like, been cool, you know, it's always been like a dream of mine to get into this type of thing. I almost went into communications, ended up going in to be a music teacher, but communications has always been a, like a, a passion of mine, and, uh, you know, it was, it was neat to talk to, because I don't know if, if, if we said this on the show at all, it's something I want to talk about, the fact that people are coming to us now and saying, hey, I'd love to be on your show. So if anyone out there knows someone that's looking to get a plug or whatever, you know, like just contact us, uh, you know, at the, at the matchup zone, and uh, we'll talk about it. We'll get you on. And my crippling lack of confidence, too, is uh, I'm just like, what? wait, they want to get on the show? Like, and it was just kind of like, oh, why? Like, what, 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 why? Huh? But it's pretty cool. I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm man, loving uh, the show. I'm loving uh, doing this with you, John. 
It's a great time. Yes, so, uh, again, we apologize for the delay. John and I both teach at the same school. Um, and, you know, it's September, man. COVID, it's been a trying month. So, uh, we're Remote glad we're going to get back. And, yeah, now we're kind of get back on the schedule. We're kind of in a routine now, so we'll get back to it. So, we appreciate you guys listening. You guys all rock. DJ John Hunt, thank yes, you sir. so much again. Yes, sir. I'm actually going to DJ right now. Nice. <laughs> I'm running out the door to go do a communion, man. So nice. You take DJ the work John where it comes, Check man. him out, everyone. DJ John Hunt. Awesome. Doing so the kids again, party. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you guys next week or, you know, next time. And uh, we'll get another show going. And it's going to be fun. And thanks, Dre Baldwin. Uh, guys, it's been awesome. Until the next time, peace out. Keep it real. And we'll talk to you then. Any fans and some fans, call me Triple A, get my advance in advance, amen, as the world's spinning, dance in my hands.